0: Hello and welcome to episode nine of Bombathopod, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast. Nine episodes into the season, a third into the Spanish season. We've come a long way, but there's plenty more left to go. As always, I'm Lee Roden, joined by Alexandra Jonsson. How are you today, my friend?
1: I am great, though I am in Sweden, so it's a bit depressing weather. But otherwise, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's a rare uh, coincidence that we both happen to be here at the same time. so today we will, we'll, we'll explain in a, a bit that it's going to be a different format because it's the international break, but we should probably touch briefly on the fact that Norway faced Spain a few days ago and took a decent result as well for them, but kind of leaves their group wide open. Um, I was sort of like half watching this game, half watching the, the Sweden game, fl- flicking back and forth for obvious reasons because both teams were involved, but from what I saw and particularly as someone who's originally Scottish, Norway competed pretty well against the uh, spain throughout most of the game uh, got a result from it and martin erigard again was phenomenal and what i'm considering right now the, the subject that came up when i was watching it and in the aftermath is that he was probably the best midfielder on the pitch which is quite an incredible thing to say when norway are playing spain i mean i can't remember if that's ever been the case before i don't know about you
1: no probably not and uh, i think with with martin erigard we are kind of in scandinavian football and Norwegian football especially walking into a new kind of era uh, Mm. where I think because one player especially in that type of position that he plays can make such a huge difference um, in the way an entire team and also how well other players around him uh, will end up playing so I think we were going to see a, a Norway from now on that it's not going to be as competitive as any of the top nations but a Norway that like sweden or denmark might have done much more than norway before be able to compete in another type of way
0: yep and it feels fitting actually now that i think about it to talk about out guard considering who we're going to be talking about today um so we've talked about this before that we were planning something different for the international breaks and the idea is basically we're going to look back on some of the historic scandinavians to have played in la liga if you follow us on twitter at bombathopod you'll know that already because we put the first subject of the first special pod out to a pole and it was pretty tight in the beginning it looked like the guy we're going to talk about now was going to pull away then thomas gavison made a two-footed tackle and pulled it back a little bit but in the end probably no surprise who the guy who won was michael loudrup i don't know were you hugely surprised with that alex
1: no not at all i thought that was going to be the one who won it but it was it was fun that it became a bit of a tight race there for a little bit at, at least it wasn't too obvious uh, that it would end up on him
0: Yeah, I'm super excited about this. I've actually been on a little bit of a a nostalgic sort of week with the international break. I've been looking back on a lot of older football, thinking about a lot of my memories from football from when I was young because I was born in 89. So the the 90s are very much where my first formative memories of Michael Laudrup come in. And before I I run down just some of his career stats and achievements in Spain, the kind of funny thing for me is that when I was younger, he was the other Laudrup, which seems strange, but in scotland if you grew up in scotland at that time then brian Loudrup was the guy that you had the most contact with because he was playing for rangers and i always remember my brother telling me nah but his his older brother's better trust me he's better but he was this kind of mythical figure who i didn't really get to see much of because we didn't have spanish football on tv or at least not the tv i had the access to and it was only when i got a little bit older or when you saw the 98 world cup which is like the first one that i have memories of that i really got to see him but i mean as you'll find out over the course of this he's a player who really is unique and that's not something you can say about a lot of people in the game but he stands out for a bunch of reasons his career first of all in spain we'll go into detail but five league titles in a row which is an incredible feat for anyone let alone for a scandinavian and he won four of them at barca where he also won a Copa del rey and the big one i think that the one that maybe stands out to a lot of barca fans as the most important thing that happened for the club which is their first ever european cup he was a huge part of that team in the early 90s. And then over at Real Madrid, he won a league title, which was their first in five years. And that's not often that that happened to Madrid in those days. Uh, and he also vo- reached the Champions League quarterfinal with them. And most notably, I think, considering how brief his spell was there, he was voted the 12th greatest player in Real Madrid's history in a poll in the early 2000s. Um, 165 games for Barca, 40 goals. For Madrid, 62 games, 12 goals. And then the, the thing that I think is quite interesting is there's not really great in-depth statistics on the number of assists that he provided because they weren't really counted back in the day but I think we can both agree that you can safely assume that Michael Laudrup provided a lot of assists at Barcelona in particular right? Yeah
1: for sure uh, I guess he would probably have won the assist league every season if if that was counted yeah. back then like it is now
0: He also managed to transition into a coach in Spain as a foreigner and have pretty reasonable achievements there most notably at Getafe who he took to a Copa del Rey final and also took, to, I think it was a quarterfinal of the UEFA Cup, where they would eventually go out in quite heroic fashion. Um, all right. So before I get into the, will we get into the, the depth of his career? Uh, there's two kind of points that I want to have as like debate points, if you like, that we'll come back to later on. So the first one is: Is Michael up the Scandinavian who had the biggest impact on Spanish football? And apart from that, is he the greatest Scandinavian footballer of all time? Uh, neither question is unreasonable i think you can have different opinions on it but i think we wait until the end of the show and then maybe we can figure out what our opinion is on that i mean i think for for danes certainly my impression is that he's universally recognized by danes as the greatest danish footballer of all time which is quite a feat when you consider that he wasn't present for what remains their biggest sporting achievement the the euro 92 win but i almost think that the, the way that that happened kind of left even more of a good impression when you listened to him speaking about it and he said, well, I'd already retired from the national team at that point and then Denmark hadn't qualified. But when Yugoslavia were forced not to go to the tournament and they they got to go, he didn't think it was fair for him to step in and take someone else in the Denmark squad's place, which I think plays into the the image that I have of Michael Lowdrop, which is that he's one of these footballing gentlemen, you know. Someone who had some standards and decency.
1: And I think we, we're going to get in more to that later, but that also comes to the the point why both Barca fans and Real Madrid fans kind of like him, even though he played yeah. for both clubs, which is very, very unre- unusual.
0: No, I mean, I, I find it hard to think of many other people who are held in the same esteem by both clubs, but we'll we'll get to why. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say that it sounds kind of ridiculous, but to me, he is like a bridge footballer who bridged the the old and the new in football. He was playing at a time where we were kind of just at the end of a different kind of football and just at the start of the modern football. But when you go back and look at him, I mean, there are a lot of things that stand out about his, his qualities as a player that involves skill and intelligence and all that side of the game. But actually physically, he was pretty strong, you know. You watch videos of him and he had a decent amount of pace for someone who didn't rely on his pace. He was pretty robust on the ball. And I reckon that he's one of these players who... Where he playing now, he could still perform at a high level. And in fact, when he was Swansea coach, which wasn't that long ago, I think he was 48 at the time, and his players said he was still the best player in training. So that gives you an idea of how how well he looked after himself. So I was thinking about how the most legendary footballers tend to have one or two traits about their game that, that go on to define them in hindsight. So with Maradona, everyone thinks of his dribbling and his left foot, right? With Zidane, they think of the pirouette. So for me, I put to you that Laudrup had two. He was the king of the no look assist. In other words, looking one way and passing the other way. And in particular, a chipped pass over the top. And then he also had the croqueta, which maybe people contemporary Spanish football fans will think of Eniesta, but but actually really was most closely associated with Laudrup first. Uh, So to start with his career in Spain, I learned something about this today. I don't know if you knew this Alex, but before he went to Barca, when he did, they were already interested in him when he was a teenager, when he was in Denmark. So Simonson was at, at Barca at the time and they, I think it was the early eighties. So they had a decent eye on Denmark and they went, they spoke to low He came to the club. He had a chance to move to La Masia, but his dad said to him in the end, his dad who was also a, a reasonably successful footballer that nah, you're 17. You're too young. You should wait. Wait until you're at least 18 before you go to spain so it's tempting to think how things would have worked out had he gone to barca four years earlier than he ultimately did but considering he would have ended up if he made it through to the first team being coached by either terry venables or luis Aragonés, perhaps then that worked out for the best for barca what do you think
1: yeah and i think it's it's quite interesting as um, an interview i think both of us watched earlier today where he ta- also talked about where he almost went to liverpool uh, before going mm. to juventus and how much a decision like that, and the same with with this decision can change the entire career because the the timing of going to a specific club at a specific time and everything that develops from there um it can just really change the entire- and this is especially at the beginning of a career it can just change how the entire career will unfold later on um and I think he just came to Barcelona at just the right time um with John Crave there as well. Uh, which I think yeah. for him was uh, a key uh, in also in going to Barcelona and, there, uh, and, and to learn from, from Johan. And yes, the players that were there and what's interesting with Barcelona at that time, which I think is easy to forget because you look back at it as the dream team with all of these amazing players, was that most of these players were not recognized in that sense before they came to Barcelona. Uh, it was not a team built on stars. It was a team that became stars together in another sense, which I also find quite interesting.
0: Yeah, but the thing that stood out to me as well when he was talking about that decision when he finally did decide to come in 1989. So he was leaving Juventus. He'd spent some time at Lazio on loans. He was, he was of a decent standing. He had his pick of a few clubs. Liverpool was one of the ones that we mentioned. But the, the thing that I found particularly fascinating is something that we also forget. That not just the players weren't necessarily stars at the time, but Barca wasn't necessarily a superstar club at the time. It wasn't an easy decision to make to, if you're at a key stage in your career, go to Barca where maybe you'll go five, six, seven, eight years without winning a league title. So Barca weren't this huge draw that they are now. And if anything, the fact that Barca have become what they've become now, you can in part put down to the influence of someone like Michael Loudrop,
1: right? Yeah, 100%. And as he also said, is that he personally thinks that the, the Barcelona of Guardiola and the Barcelona of Reikardt were better teams, were better individual players uh, than the Dream Team. But the thing that they have, that the, the other two teams don't have, is the fact that they were the first. And they're always going to be the first. Because, as you say, when he came to Barcelona, they were a team that, did, that won a title every eight years or something like that. Yep. They didn't win continually. They weren't the bars of today. But the bars of today, or the bars of... The, the modern history, so to say, that has been winning all of these titles and everything that they've won since then kind of started with that team, with Laudrup, with Crave, and whatever everything that they did uh, during those seasons. So he's a key player in, in that sense, and a key player, I think, as well, in something we're going to get into more later with how so many players in Spain and in football in general have offered how football has changed and started to be more the way that Laudrup played it, in a way.
0: So, I mean, we, we should talk about some of the things that he achieved there. First of all, one thing I wanted to talk about was it was interesting for me because I, when Guardiola's Barca started to come through and have success, and in particular with the the second season, not so much the first one, but the second one when Leon Messi started to play as a false nine, that was treated certainly in the UK and I would imagine possibly in Scandinavia as well as being this innovation that had never happened before. But actually, in, in Spain, and particular, in, in Barcelona, a lot of people know that this was really Pep going back to what he'd learned playing under Cruyff, because Laudrup was Cruyff's false nine. He played that role for Cruyff quite often, particularly in the first season, where he wouldn't have a fixed position in the forward line. He would drop off, and it would confuse the centre-backs who didn't know what to do. And he talks about, quite eloquently, about how defenders were confused. They had no idea if they should go to him to come out of the defence and mark him or if they could, should stay and hold a position in defense, but have no reference point to work with. And it's really not dissimilar to the, the way you hear Real Madrid players talking about when Messi was moved to false nine at the uh, 6-2 at the Bernabeu. So that's something I think a lot of people, maybe outside of uh, Spain in particular, don't realize that he, the Dane, was playing that role decades before Messi was ever moved there by Pep. So we'll look at what well, I think his first season wasn't necessarily, much like the the earliest time for Crowford at Barca, it wasn't necessarily a huge success. They did win a Copa del Rey, which proved to be quite important, I think, in keeping Cruyff's position for what would come next. But it's his second season there where it really kicks off, and there's a a big reason why, apart from the fact that he was performing well anyway, Ronald Coleman got injured. Risto Stoichkov got suspended because he stamped on a referee's foot. So for about half of the season, Laudrup was Barca's only available foreign player. That's a huge responsibility for him to I,
1: have. I, I think also we should just add for for some of our listeners that back then Barcelona or teams in Europe couldn't have countless foreign players like you can today. Yeah. Uh, so there's, yep. there was a rule that you were only allowed, I think, to have four in the team and have three that you play.
0: And that would—that's a subject that will that will come up again in Laudrup's time at Barcelona because it's important to how it ends. So it's something that's huge importance. They they won the league that year. It was the first of four. There's something about the Cruyff Leagues that maybe has been lost with hindsight as well. They they never really made it easy for themselves. They had a habit of having to either close pull back a gap towards the end of the season or a win. On the last day of the season even just to take the win but i think that tells you something also about where barca were at that time it was still a a modern club in construction in some sense they weren't the finished article and then he wins four titles league titles with barcelona the one the last one is probably the most dramatic which is saying something because they're all pretty dramatic (laughs) but this is a sort of infamous game if you're well you'll know because being up in galicia deportivo fans will still remember this not with particular fondness because they were leading for quite a few weeks, I think by the end, towards the end of the season, they were heading for their first league title, and then on the last day of the season, it all comes unravelled. Barca come back. I think they're at one point two one down against Sevilla, yeah. um, and they, they come back and win that game. But at the same time, they have to rely on or not winning.
1: And in the middle of the of these, match, they are playing like as always. In the last match of the season are played at the same time, so we have in the middle of of this match going on at the Camp Nou. The entire stadium just goes complete quiet. Completely quiet. And what has happened then?
0: (laughs) It's a different time, so there's no mobile phones. It's the time of transistor radios. People would have someone maybe in your row or someone near, you would have a little pocket radio, and they'd be listening to the other game. It's May 14th, 1994 is the date, to be specific. It's towards the end of the game. It's like the final minutes, I think. Depor are playing Valencia. Valencia have got nothing to play for. Valencia are playing with their reserve goalkeeper. Then Depp will get a pen, so this is when everyone at the Camp Nou finds out that there's a penalty in that game, and that if Depor score, they're going to win, and they're going to win the league title.
1: And and imagine the players on the pitch at the Camp Nou because it's not very often it happens, and it, it basically never happens. The entire Camp Nou, where you can have over ninety thousand people, I don't know what the attendance was back then. This entire stadium goes quiet. I think that. As a player on the pitch, you will recognize what, like something is happening because yep. it's just such a difference it, from the sound that is normally going on to just that complete silence.
0: You watch back the footage and, and the players are literally like like speaking to each other, communicating with like sign language, almost saying, okay, zero zero, oh Oh, there's a penalty. There's stuff comes up from the bench, you know, Cruyff's telling them or whatever and even the Sevilla players who are supposed to be <laughs> their opponents are like talking to each other saying oh, this is what the score is. The penalty is to be taken by Miroslav Djukic, who maybe one day we should go back and do a podcast actually, if we can find an angle to do on uh, the Deport Valencia rivalry that's sort of spun out since. But anyway, uh, Djokic steps up to take the pen and honestly it's awful if you watch the penalty now and, and hindsight is really bad. It's a terrible, terrible penalty. Valencia save it and by definition, the, the score soon, the final score ends up being 0 0, and Barca win the league.
1: And the Camp Noules erupts.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And that's the last league title that he wins with Barca, which would be a fitting end to his career, if not for what would happen in Athens. Which I think, I don't know about you, but when I when I think about Loudrop at Barca, it's hard not to think about the final european cup final that they lose for now for an obvious reason that he wasn't part of it
1: yeah and it was one of the i think one of the most one-sided finals which most likely wouldn't have been so one-sided had had he been on the pitch for barcelona
0: well this is the thing i mean they're they're taken apart for now by fabio capello's ac milan and okay i think you could reasonably say that maybe milan would still have won it the the score line was so far in their favor But at the same time, Fabio Capello himself later admitted that he was hugely relieved when he saw that Laudrup wouldn't be playing. And the thing about that is that the beginning of this whole story is sort of when Romario joins Barca, because when Romario joins, they've got four foreign players for three positions. But when he joins, what it also does is it changes Barca's system. And I think Laudrup's pointed to that later on, that when you put him in and you take drop out it's a completely different setup from the one that they were using before to great success honestly i mean romario scored a lot of goals for barca but i think a lot of barca fans would probably trade that league title to get rid of the horror that was athens because that was still quite a traumatic event for them to lose in a european cup final by such a huge margin It's, it's not often that people criticize Johan Cruyff, and particularly not most Barca fans who remember his team and what it meant at that time, but I think a lot of people would agree that this was probably Cruyff's biggest mistake as Barca coach. And then, I mean, this, this is the start, I guess you could say, of a period where there's a big split between Laudrup and Barca for one obvious reason, which is that his choice of destination of where he's going to go, I think he decided a few months earlier, is...
1: Well, he decided to go to this, um, this team a bit more south, uh, not super south, in, in the center of Spain, which where they really, really love FC Barcelona. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> Real Madrid, the yeah. biggest rival you can go to. And I don't think uh, he particularly understood uh, no. the, how, how big it was to go from Barcelona to Real Madrid and what that really meant in, in Spain.
0: Yeah, I, I think maybe these days it would be hard to believe that. But we have to remember this is a time before the internet, before I would imagine people in Denmark had any access, or if there was any access to Spanish football, it was small. He is someone who comes from a completely different culture, and as he explained as well, when when he came to Barca, Barca were the second team in Madrid were on top. But when he left Barca, things had changed. Barca were on top, so for him, he was taken in some way. He was taken a step down.
1: And to to put in here, as you say, come from a different culture as someone. From Scandinavia and you who lives here as well can point in that football in Scandinavia and football in Spain is very different when it comes to how yep. you look at it. Here it's more a sport. Uh, so if you go from, from if you take Sweden for example, if you would go from Malmo to Gothenburg which is the equivalent of Real Madrid and Barcelona but in, in Swedish terms, then that is a, okay, it's, it's a huge thing to do but it's not the end of the world. It happens all the time um, and no one really cares because it's sport. It's a football. It's a football decision. Um, it's not a person. Nothing personal. Uh, in the same sense, as it becomes in Spain, where football is seen in such a different way uh, and is such a different part of the of the culture and and everything that happens around in the country. So I think for someone coming from here, not knowing what it's like in in Spain in those senses, as you say, that back then wouldn't have the internet in the same way that it is now. You didn't have the same exposure of Spanish football and and all of that and how different that was so going from Barcelona to Real Madrid I can say can think in in his sense wasn't as big of a deal as it actually was
0: yeah and I I think also in hindsight that his his genuine surprise when he sort of discovered if you like how badly this had gone down with Barca fans is also part of what maybe made it easier for them to to forgive him I, I think they understood actually all right okay he probably didn't realize and then if you keep in mind in the context, a guy who's he's in his thirties by this point, I think his early thirties. He hasn't been playing that much. He's had his influence reduced on the pitch. He knows he doesn't have that much time left at the top. He knows that Barca don't really have a use for him. He says that he, you know, he couldn't go to England physically. wasn't up to that. He didn't fancy going back to Italy to like the, the tightest defense in the world. So what other options did he have? Again, maybe it's naive, but you, you can understand if if he's not really aware of how much of a start it's going to cause, why that would seem like the best one. And then also we should remember that Jorge Valdano was at Real Madrid. So there's another great football in mind to work with, and he's not going to get many more opportunities to do that. And then I think the thing that stands out for me about how genuine he is about this is that he, he says now to this day that the worst day of his career was the first time he came back to the Camp Nou with the Real Madrid shirt on. And he was booed like hell, and this is kind of forgotten, I think, because of how the the end product where the, he's sort of forgiven. But and everyone focuses on Figo. But if you look at the the banners that there were at the camp now that day, Judas, traitor, all these mm-hmm. kind of words, people booing his every touch. It, it looked like it really hurt him. I mean, he he looked like he genuinely was pretty shocked by that.
1: And I think someone that that is not prepared for that um, when he does the move, as we have said, that he it seemed he wasn't, to get back and, and then get that thrown at you and not really expecting it uh, yep. and not really understanding that what it had meant uh, with the move he did, that must have hurt uh, enormously.
0: His time at Madrid is quite short, his first season is, is really good, his second season not so much, but he helps them to win their first league title in five years.
1: And uh, one really cool thing is that he won f- 5-0 with Barcelona against Real Madrid. Next season, he won five nil with Real Madrid against Barcelona, uh, which no other player <laughs> can say they have done. And also that uh, that he won the league title. What was it? Uh, five years in a row for two different clubs yeah, in Spain. Exactly. Which no, no, no one has done either. Uh, so that's a few things that he. Uh, managed to do um, by doing that change but
0: which is very very impressive well the thing that stands out for me too also in those 5-0 games he plays a pretty important role in both of them so he's not just a passenger Um, but what stands out for me about his time at Madrid above all is that he was there for only two seasons but still even still with that short period of time and with him maybe getting towards the latter days of his peak he is still so fondly remembered by Real Madrid fans he still ranks in these votes that they have on the website of their best players. I think he came 12th in one vote of their best players of all time. And this is a guy who won one league title and had like a, a decent run in the Champions League, but he didn't win a European Cup. I think that says a lot. And he's, he was hugely admired by Valdano as well, who was his coach.
1: Yeah, and have you heard uh, the anecdote about him and the Spanish king? Is it true? Uh, I don't know, but let's say it is because it's brilliant if it is. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah. So what anecdote is that, that Michael Ladrup was sitting at a restaurant in Madrid with a friend, um, telling him about how he was thinking about retiring and leaving uh, Real Madrid. And the king of Spain happens to be sitting at the table next door or something like that and overhears it. Uh, comes by and, and whispers to Ladrup, Well, that would be good, because then I will be the only king in Madrid, (laughs) 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 which is brilliant. So I I really hope it's true, because it would be amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, that again, that hammers into it. Like, people in Madrid love him. Yeah. The same way that people in Barcelona loved him, people in Madrid love him. And that's really, really rare. We can't overstate. I mean, okay, now we should explain as well. How did he redeem himself with Barca? So there's a moment that's absolutely huge in this and I, I urge everyone who's listening to go and look on YouTube to see if they can find a footage of this. I'm pretty sure it's, it's available. It's 1999. It's the tribute match to Cruyff's dream team. And Michael Laudrup plays for Barca. It's the first time he's back in a Barca shirt. He's previously been back, as we said, in a Real Madrid shirt and booed. And when he walks out of the Camp now, the cheers are huge. I mean, people are roaring for him. They're chanting his name. there's some footage where they cut to the banners and there's a banners that read like loudrop or loudrop legend. And then there's one that says to the people who booed him and boo him today. And by the way, that didn't happen. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Your memory can't be erased. And then the footage from TV threat, I think it's TV threat, the Catalan broadcaster cuts to him and he looks like he's about to break down in tears. It's such a huge moment for him. I think because again, as we said, I really don't think he understood what he had, done in the eyes of the fans and to get that forgiveness obviously meant a huge deal to him and it's a really nice moment one of those sort of pure moments of kind of football decency and a really heated rivalry that, that sort of touches your heart I think
1: yeah he just shows that class and, and being that type of person that he is as well uh, goes above and, and shows that like how he is as a person helps I think as well for, uh, for the Barca fans to forgive him because they they see him more as the amazing Laudrup than a traitor or anything like that. And I think if we, we're not going to go into detail to it, but I think there's a lot of people you see ask, why do Barca fans hate Figo so much, but they don't Mm. with Laudrup? And I think it comes to a few of the things that we already talked about, and then with Figo as well, it was the fact that he was lying, Uh, in press conferences Mm. yes, before, that he would never sign for Real Madrid and blah, 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 and then two days later or something like that he does it, Uh, and everything around that. And I think it's just the way that the move was done was made so differently, uh, the way Figo did it and the way Laudrup did it, Uh, and then again to the point where he didn't understand, well, I think for Figo it would have been impossible for him not to understand with everything Mm. that was going on in the media before it actually happened. Um, so I think there there's a lot of, of things going into detail as well on, on those things. But in yep. general, I think the main thing is just the kind of player and personality that, that Michael Laudrup has. That it makes it so much easier to to see the, the good in him rather than the fact that he didn't move.
0: It's quite touching as well. Like I don't know if you've ever been, there's been quite a few times when I've been working at the Camp now, And Laudrup will be there working for Danish TV, I guess. So he'll be in the press box and you'll see fans stopping him, asking for pictures, asking for autographs. I'm not gonna lie, he's one of those few people as well. I think because of the, the time in my life where he was playing that, I still get a little bit starstruck when I see him, but seeing him be able to work there, not only be able to work there, but also be able to to be admired there is really nice and it's it's great. I think that things worked out the way they did. So then I guess we also have to mention it's so easy to get absorbed in his playing career in Spain to forget that actually in quite a rare case he had a a really good coaching spelling Spain as well albeit brief. He's associated most of all I would say with Getafe for their run to the Copa del Rey final at the same time as making it to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup where they went toe-to-toe with Bayern Munich no less. I think, is it 4-4 was the final score on that? Yeah, so something like that. And they go out and away goals. I
1: think only time that uh, Coliseum Alfonso Perez has been sold out. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. I mean, that's the thing that a bit more attention has being given to this now because Getafe are back in Europe again and it's such a rare occurrence. But to do that with the budget that they have, uh, with the means that they had, and also has Getafe played a completely different football to the Getafe that Bordalas Getafe play? It was very much a proactive attack in football, and it's really a pretty admirable achievement. And then Mallorca, who he manages to keep up in La Liga just about, but I think that was what he was tasked with doing, and he did it.
1: Yeah, and then he, I think there was uh, a lot of things going on behind the scenes that really didn't have to do so much with him that, that made things go the wrong yep. direction for Mallorca, and he left before everything collapsed, to, to be honest. So the things he did at the club was very, very good and well-received, I'd say.
0: He seems to me to be one of these coaches who, I mean, if we add, it's not La Liga related, but obviously he won a trophy with Swansea, which is a huge achievement too. He seems to me to be a coach who chooses to do less work than he could. And Mm -hmm. I've spoken to people who played with him and interviewed people who played with him and they all say to me that, no, he's a great coach. We, We wish he was coaching more, that he was doing more, but it seems like he's more focused on his family. I think he really regrets not spending as much time with them as he would have liked to because of his playing days. So I have no doubt that he could have been doing more and perhaps more high profile jobs. But again, classy on the pitch, classy off it. I think he's got to a stage in his life where he has different priorities, but I would love to see him back in Spanish football beyond what he did on the pitch, what he did as a coach. There's a sort of third facet to Laudrup's impact that we have to touch on. And it's something that you touched on at the start of the podcast. It's his legacy on other players and his contemporaries, how they speak about him, what they think about him and I mean, no less than arguably the greatest Spanish footballer of all time considers Laudrup to be the greatest player in history, Andres Iniesta. That says something.
1: And it's not just Iniesta either. If you if you look at Barca, if we start there, um, at La Masia, and both Iniesta and Xavi, they were both looking up a lot to to Guardiola. But in Iniesta's case, especially more to Laudrup, and and Xavi would, I remember reading that he would after his own trainings at La Masia were done. He would run to the first team pitch to sneak a peek because there was two players he wanted to look at, and it was Laudrup and and Guardiola. And I think Guardiola as well looked up to Laudrup quite a bit. Um, And then Andres Iniesta, of course, he had a poster of Laudrup in his uh, Mm -hmm. bedroom in La Masia, um, and has talked a lot about him, him. And I think we can see in the way that Andres Iniesta plays, even though he is his own player, uh, you yep. can see a lot of traits from, from Laudrup. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think it's in general, and then from that, Iniesta has inspired a lot of, of midfielders in, in Spanish football. Like when you talk to Ander Herrera, for example, he can't stop talking about mm. Andres Iniesta and, and a lot of others as well. Um, but I think in, in general, if you look at Spain in the last, uh, last few years, there's been so many great midfielders over the years. And that's what you think of when you talk about Spain post. 2008, the mm-hmm. um, Euro there, is the, the midfielders that have grown up. And that kind of, in a way, I think that if you look at the, the older of those, the Iniestas and Chávez, etc., uh, Casorla, they were looking at Laudrup. Mm. And then from them, the next generation has been looking at them. So it's, it goes in generations. But, but it feels like in somehow, in a way, is as we said with Barcelona before, that the, the new era of how Barcelona became a winning club. And yes, just a club that won every eight years or so started with the dream team. and, And when Laudrup came there, I also feel like looking back, it feels a little bit like the midfield type of footballers in Spain started a bit with Laudrup coming and playing La Liga.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. It does feel like that archetype that ends up going on to define Spanish football can in many ways be traced back to him. On the subject of Pep Guardiola, there's a story that Guardiola cried when he found out that Laudrup was leaving Barca. And again, he's one of these people. A lot of people have said a lot about him, but Pep said he couldn't believe that Loudrop was never named best player in the world. Cruyff said that when he plays, it's like a dream, like magic or an illusion. And he also said that had Loudrop been Brazilian, he would be rated way higher than he was. Jorge Valdano said he has eyes everywhere, which I think is great because it really does sum up how Loudrop used to play. And then with Iniesta, I mean, the, the obvious one is the croqueta, you know, that mm. move where you shuffle the ball from one foot to another. That's There's no doubt that he got that from watching game after game after game of Michael Ludrup playing. So his influence is absolutely huge on some of the key figures, I think, in the Spanish game. There's one point that kind of stands out here, though, that I've been thinking about. I mean, why is he not involved in La Liga in some way? It seems like such a huge miss for him. Either if he's not coaching because he doesn't want to be doing that full-time, then that's fine. But, I mean, why is he not involved in Barca? Surely there's something he could do there, especially these days with the knowledge that he has. Doesn't it feel like a shame?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, with Barcai, as we talked when we were on the Valdez topic the, the other week, I'm still a little bit with the current board on how they are using uh, ex-players because of their names and then not really going all in, in what they're trying to do. Uh, I'm a little bit unsure if I would like to waste him, uh, just so to say, there at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, but looking further and getting Barca back on track it would be an incredible uh, person to have somewhere in the system working with the club in, in some way but just in, in Spanish football in general um, it doesn't really have to be Barca it could be a, another club as well but it doesn't have to be as you say a coaching role um, it can be you're working with the, younger, with the youth development of a club or, or anything like that but just the knowledge and the insight and the mastermind uh, so to say that he is it would be incredible to, to get him back in some capacity to Spanish football, for sure.
0: So I guess now we should come back to the original point at the start, and I want us to take our Swedish hats off and try and be as neutral about this as possible. Is he the Scandinavian to have left the biggest impact on La Liga? For me, I think that's without a doubt. I,
1: I don't think that that's even a question, to be honest. There is yeah, no, no other Scandinavian who, like we said before, now we're talking about how Spanish football has changed and how the Spanish the the generation of midfielder in Spain kind of feels like it somehow leads back to him. It's like mm-hmm. had it just been Andres Iniesta, I think mean, that would have been enough to say he's the most, the one who has affected Spanish football yeah. much, the the most. Just if you have been a part of making Andres Iniesta the player he is today, which I must say, like if you follow a player the way that Andres Iniesta followed Laudrup, then even if you would never have met him, he would have been a, a huge part in making him the player he is today. And yes, with that one, I think he's already left a bigger mark than any other Scandinavian has ever done in Spanish football. And then you can add all of the other things, uh, which are huge as well. Um, yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't think there is a question there that he's definitely the one who's no. had uh, the biggest mark on of, of Spanish football.
0: Yeah I mean I think before you even consider that he had success as a coach even just as his legacy as a player has already put some there Mm -hmm. and then there's also this thing that that just struck me as well is that he's almost stopped being Danish in the eyes of Spanish football he's so synonymous with Spanish football that the concept of Michael Ludrop being a Dane doesn't even necessarily have to come up you know he's so so part of the Spanish football as a legacy and then there's the other question which is always a a hard one to answer because context different time periods but Is he the greatest Scandinavian footballer of all time? Whether you agree or disagree, he at least has to be up there.
1: No, but I think he he probably is, uh, to be honest. It's just to listen to these great, great players uh, in history who's played with him or watched him and how they regard him. Uh, Because I think sometimes it's more interesting to hear uh, the best at football, the best players, the best minds, the best coaches and those regard him as one of the best mm. in the world, in, in history. Um, so in that sense, there is no other Scandinavian, really. I don't know. There, probably it's Slatan but he's not really up there that high uh, in that regard either. I think the thing with, with Laudrup is, though, that he's not been talked about as much or been recognized as much. Um, I think Slatan has probably a bigger media coverage... That yep. has, it has to do with time as well, but it also has to do with how they are as people. And uh, Laudrup as a player, and as a person, is quite selfless. Self, not not selfish. Selfless. Yeah, selfless exactly.
0: is the yeah.
1: word. Thank you. Um, and also he wasn't the, the typical goal scorer. His position on the pitch was, uh, wasn't was the one who stealed the headlines in the same way. Yep. Uh, so in those senses, I think he, he can be a bit underrated. Uh, But for me, I I would say that he's the best Scandinavian probably that there in history.
0: I think I agree. And I think everything that you said really nails it for me that had he been playing 10 years later, I don't even think this would be a doubt. But I think he's still criminally underrated by some people, but, but by the people who knew who he was, who really, let's face it, are the people we should be paying attention to. None of them underrate him. And then there's also this fact that so he was playing just at the time when when football was sort of transitioning into this modern period so it was starting to get physically demanding uh, people were starting to look after themselves more and he was competing at that level and he was also playing at a time where they weren't keeping stats so I, honestly if there were the, the kind of detailed like up to level stats keeping about his assists or his pre assists if you like then his numbers would have been stratospheric so uh, until someone can prove or convince me otherwise I think he is. And actually though, that would be an interesting one for for you guys, the people who listen to the pod, can tweet us at Bombathel Pod and let us know if you agree that Loudrop's the greatest Scandinavian footballer of all time. And if not, who and why. But in any case, I mean he's an absolute privilege to to watch even now if you go back and watch him play. And it's you can just you can watch Loudrop passing assists and goals. He got plenty of those too for hours on end and they're rarely boring
1: and and one fun thing to do as well is to go on youtube and find a complication of of his assists or his passes and you pause just before he makes the pass and then try to guess where he's going to pass the ball (laughs) because it's not always that that simple
0: (laughs) yeah the way he talks about this he makes it because like we're we're watching that documentary and he was like oh yeah it was simple i was just looking one way and then i passed the ball the other and you're like okay yeah but (laughs) you're looking one way and then you're dinking a ball perfectly weighted over four people about 15 meters that's not something that everyone can do <laughs>
1: and i love the part as well where where it's like well so i couldn't if you have a line of defenders you can't just pass the ball right straight through them so i pass it above them because there's no one above them <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly and that's genius in a bottle i think
1: yeah
0: that's been a privilege i love talking about michael lowdrop i love talking about historic footballers because you have a certain distance to them and i think you can kind of speak more from the heart than just from the head. And let's face it, we all are in football for the heart as well, not just for the, the analysis. We should say also that Sweden are playing Spain this week. So next week's pod, we'll have all the usual looking back on La Liga, what's happened to La Liga. But I'll also have a report from the Sweden-Spain game here, which, well, touch wood, hopefully, Sweden get a result from. But in any case, we should hopefully see Alexander Isak in action at the minimum. Until then, any closing notes, Alexander Jonsson?
1: Well, we can mention that we're going to do several more of of these type of, mm, of podcasts. We will do them uh, specifically on international breaks. And I think we're going to continue with doing a poll on Twitter where you can have a say which player you want. So we'll just pick four players uh, that we would like to talk about or for one reason or so is interesting. And then you can vote. But we will also do some special ones that we are in planning uh so mm-hmm. those you will not be able to vote on those will just yeah,
0: pop up that that's a good point we should say if if you notice that some names maybe obvious names not henrik larsen with an e as someone suggested <laughs> to me on twitter the uh danish footballer who never played in la liga if you notice that some obvious names are missing it's it's not because we've forgotten them it's because we've planned something a little bit extra special for those people so we don't want to waste them. But yeah, I mean you can tweet us also any people that you think we've overlooked that you'd like to hear about and I also think it's safe to say that Thomas Gavison will make an appearance he's earned it. Um, It's not easy going head to head with Michael Lowdrop and he took a lot of votes so there's a lot of interest.
1: Very impressive.
0: So I guess that's us then until next Monday when we'll be back. Um, Do you know how to say goodbye in Danish, Alex? Because I don't. In
1: Danish? I should know. I should know. Uh, But I don't. I can't, can't remember right now
0: there you go Danish listeners you can tweet us and let us know how to say goodbye
1: don't, don't get too mad at us for not being fantastic at Danish
0: you can also tweet us ways to, how to end a podcast because every week <laughs> it's exceptionally awkward so we will say a Swedish possibly Danish hey då,
1: hey då. bye Thanks. Ciao.